Welsh this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxson, and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweetenham. James, ready to talk in all things sports in Salford and beyond? I most certainly am, Rob. And when you mention beyond, it well and truly is, because we're going global this week, aren't we, with the World Cup. And there's been so many big games, so many upsets, and we'll get on to them. First things first, England, a terrific start, a 6-0 win over Iran. Couldn't have gone a lot better. Yes, I know we conceded, but all in all, a positive performance from the lads. Then we go into this USA game, and it's subpar, to say the least. It is. But that's what tournament football is all about. Obviously, you want to to play well in every game. um, But England, one win, one draw, top of the table. I've seen England teams drop out of group stages in World Cups and in Euro Euro Championships many times. So to get to be in this position, James, after two two games is really, really good. Obviously, people are disappointed by the USA result, but a point is better than nothing. Obviously, in this part of the competition, it's just about making sure you get through to the next round. And I think that's what Gareth Southgate's men knew, and that's why they were happy to settle for a point against the USA. And it's difficult, though, isn't it, Rob? Because it is a big game, the USA. It's a grudge match. And we don't, should we be settling for a point against the USA? I mean, I know they're an incredibly athletic team, and there are some good players in there. You've got your Pulisic, you've got Dest, etc. But for me, as a side that wants to potentially win this competition, I do feel like we need a result there better than a draw. Yeah, there is that. But what we have to remember is, if if we push for a for a win and we get caught on the counter attack and, and concede, we're one win one loss then, and we're in the mix then. Anything could happen that last game, especially with, with Wales obviously wanting to prove a point, being a local derby for for us. But it's in, I, I'm I wasn't too fussed. I know I'm looking at the bigger picture, James. I'm looking at qualifications for the next round. Uh, as long as we finish top of the the table, which we which we should do, um, you know, in in everything that's gone on, we'll be in a good position to kick on and really ask questions for the rest of the tournament because that's the important thing. I think it's about you know looking at this group of players that we've ha- that we've got uh, and Gareth Southgate as the manager. It's people talk about the golden generation of. Uh, Steven Gerrard and, and Frank Lampard but this one really has you know shown that they have very good team obviously reaching uh, you know Euro Championship uh, finals and, and playing well in certain points yeah they've had some dark days haven't they you know getting beat in the, uh, the European friendly competitions and, and things like that but I think Gareth Southgate will be happy at where his team is and where they are standing in the league Talking about his team Rob it's a good lineup. some great players in there But perhaps the best, Phil Foden, isn't included. What do you make of that? Yeah, you you think Phil Foden, you know, is a is a one in one in a generation talent. Phil Foden and him not to be in that England lineup is real uh, head turner. But I can see where Gareth Southgate uh, is looking at this team. He wanted a, a better sort of pressing team and that's why he's got the players in there at the moment likes of Mount Henderson come off off the bench which is another kind of workman-like player yeah if we want to open up a team um you know Phil Foden for your man but as a engine that functions does Phil Foden fit into this system I'm not quite sure that is why Gareth Southgate didn't bring him on against the USA I know people were screaming for it but the way the game was being played out, it's energy you need in that in that centre midfield area. I don't think Phil Foden brings that. He brings skill and he brings creativity, but it wouldn't work in our system the way it was being played then. Be interesting to see if he gets some game time against Wales. And um, before we get on to that fixture, Rob, 
Let's look at their last game, playing Iran off the back of a draw against the USA. You'd have thought that had given them some momentum, but in actual fact, they were dominated by the Iranians pretty much from start through finish. Wayne Hennessy gets sent off for a pretty ludicrous challenge. Then they concede in the 90th minute. They concede again in injury time. And now, unless they get a big result against England, they're crashing out in the group stage. And going into this, I would have thought of giving them a decent chance of making it to the last 16. Yeah, I think obviously the, the Iran uh, result, people thought that Wales was going and, and dominate, but they're a good team. Uh, Iran and and obviously uh, under uh, Carlos Quetos, you know the ex uh, Manchester United coach, you know under his you know stewardship, they are a very good side. Got to congratulate them on the result. I thought they were the better side uh, throughout. I thought Gareth Bale, you know the the pride of our Wales was not was sort of anonymous throughout throughout the game. The game we, we talk about the the Hennessy sending off. It was flashbacks of uh, Schumacher in '82 coming out and uh, kicking the head off a, of a German centre forward. Deserved that red card. I know it, obviously at first the referee was you know didn't want to give him a yellow one and they were going mad. But obviously that they looked at the VAR and decided it was. It will be disappointing for Wales, but we've got to remember. This is the first World Cup uh, Wales that have been in uh, for a very long time, uh, and obviously to, to to get involved in it and and to be on the top, you know, the, the first uh, rung of of World Cup uh, performances. Yeah, you've got that highlight uh, last week uh, against the United States, but yeah, defeat against Iran will will hurt. But it's all about growing as a nation, and I think uh, obviously the next game against England it is a big game. England have to be wary because obviously Wales will want to 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 show them what showing them what what they're all about. So Gareth Southgate have to be right, the players have to be right, uh, and hopefully we get a result which sends England through and. Uh, obviously keeps Wales' uh, momentum going for the next competition. It does, and Wales obviously did so well, didn't they, in the Euros a few years ago. And the RSA that you can envision in the next few years going through the gears and going on to do better things. Will they win a major competition? Probably not, but I do foresee them qualifying on quite a regular basis. The only issue is, I suppose, though, is that Gareth Bale's not getting any younger. And when he leaves that side, will it be an opportunity miss? It might be. It might be, Jay. Because obviously Gareth Bale uh, is there inspiration and he's he's a number one player and and they will look, they look to him to make something happen and obviously like the the USA game when he's when he scored the penalty if he isn't there who takes that and who who's confident enough to step up on the world stage and be the man obviously when teams evolve there's always someone who comes up and takes the place of, of the man who's, who's retired but it's a massive step because Gareth Bale you know in world football he's played for like Real Madrid he's played for, for Tottenham Hotspur he's a big game player um, and to be to be replaced Wales needs somebody to step up to the mark but it will be interesting to see who that is it might not be uh, somebody who's played at that you know highest level but it might be somebody who, who can cope playing for Wales. I remember thinking about Northern Ireland, David Healy, uh, from, you know, never really played for Manchester United, but every time he put on a, a Northern Ireland shirt, you turn into peak Maradona. So uh, you're hoping that someone else will do that uh, for Wales. You most certainly are. And looking at this game now, Rob, what result are you expecting? Me personally, I think England will, will have enough bottle in the tank to get the job done. I think with everything that Wales have been through, they're, they're pretty much almost guaranteed to be crashing out at the group stage. I don't know if they have the minerals to get a result, but I do think that they'll put everything into this game. They'll give England a good run for their money. However, with them putting so much into the attack, I think they'll leave gaps at the back and I think England will be able to expose those gaps. But how do you foresee the game going? Yeah, I can, I can see similar, uh, James. You've got to think uh, with, with England, they know a, re- 
a draw or, or a win gets them through. So there will be a point in the game where they will probably think, yeah, what we have, we hold. Uh, but I can see them having enough to beat to beat Wales. Um, obviously, you know they, they've gone on an incredible journey, aren't they, Wales? Uh, but like I said, it's all about development and moving on to the next tournament. And hopefully they'll take something from this one um, and continue to improve. I hope so, Rob. I mean, obviously there's that rivalry there, but it's always good when the home nations do well. It's probably the end of the road here for Wales, but who knows what they can go on to achieve. Looking at some of the other upsets so far in the group stage, Rob, because there's been some big ones, haven't there? Saudi Arabia defeating Argentina. What a result for, for, for Saudi Arabia. Messi... The king of Argentina. Uh, everyone thought he'd just walk through this uh, this World Cup and and be crowned the, the the greatest player of all time by winning it. But no, Saudi Arabia didn't read the script, did they? And uh, yeah, two one defeat uh, for for Messi's men. Uh, obviously, they have sort of come back since, and he's and he's scored a wonder goal since. So. We'll have to wait and see. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with, with the Messi and Argentina. How often can they get to the to be the bridesmaid and never the bride? We'll have to wait and see. I'm sure Messi will be leading the troops and uh, hopefully this year will be his year. Yeah, I mean, you never know, dear. Time is running out for Lionel and he does need this major competition. I know he's got the Copper America, but people overlook that competition sometimes. So I think Lionel truly cement his legacy as the, as the great he is. That World Cup is extremely important. And another side, he pulled off an outrageous win. Japan defeating Germany. Yeah. Germany aren't the team that they, they, they used to be, James. And a lot of unrest in, in, in Germany about the national team not being uh, the force that they want them to be. Japan, what can you say about Japan? They, they've come up from... from from nowhere, uh, they they played really well uh, against Germany. Two goals in that in that second half, you know, really shook them up. And you know, looking at teams like uh, you know Saudi Arabia uh, and and Japan, uh, who are capable of of knocking the big teams off. So this World Cup might be might be a few more shocks along the way. But yeah, fantastic results for them, and I'm sure that's open think- moving forward. Hopefully. You know, another win takes them through to the next round. Absolutely. I mean, Japan have always been a side that may have, have lacked quality to an extent, but they're renowned for giving it their all. Hmm. Always putting in a good performance, no matter what the odds are. So it didn't shock me necessarily that of all the teams to get an upset, Japan was one. Do I see them going really far in this competition? Probably not, but this is still a great story. But a team that I do see going all the way, Brazil, they say the World Cup doesn't truly begin until the Brazilians grace the field. And that's how I feel myself, Rob. But when they got on and they played Serbia, they looked dazzling. They looked brilliant. They looked like the team to beat. Fantastic, aren't they? It's sort of Brazil. The samba, you know, the, the way they play the football. Uh, Neymar, you know, all, all that magic. You know, uh, and, uh, you know, it's all... It's all South American flamboyance and, and they're bringing that to the World Cup the colour the, the the music and like you said the World Cup doesn't start until Brazil kick the ball off and uh, you know great performance a great win for them most well, certainly Rob and now we look into these final few group stage games and the teams are starting to drop by the wayside and the first to go the home nation Qatar yeah Qatar obviously hosted the, the, the World Cup a lot of controversy uh, you know around the uh political side of it and, and the human rights side of it. And yeah, unfortunately, they are a level below World Cup standard. And it's, and it's been shown in the two games that they've played. 
you're just kind of hoping that the, the people of Qatar can still get behind them uh, and still get behind the tournament when they drop out. I'm sure they will because obviously they've waited a long time for this uh, tournament to come around. Uh, and so I'm sure the World Cup will continue to be the main thing in the area. And uh, hopefully the, the players of Qatar will learn from experience uh, and uh, continue to develop for the next tournament. Yeah, I mean, it's unlikely we'll see them in a tournament. But I mean... I'm assuming that more are going to go to the Middle East, so you never quite know. Mm. But as good as Brazil looked, probably the best performance so far was from the Spaniards. An unbelievable 7-0 win over Costa Rica, who won a bad side. Yeah, very good performance by uh, Spain. You know, it's tick-attack of football. It's it's everything that that made the the Spanish sort of you know winners of, of of previous tournaments and you know you look at this team and you think yeah there's some good players in there and you, you're hoping that you know they can find a way to get back to that uh, to that final uh, I know they are a team in transition obviously they've had a few old faces sort of depart the scene uh, and faces like David Day and not represented the scene anymore so uh, this is a young team that could uh, go on to bigger and better things they could go on to bigger and better things and somebody who isn't going to do that is Cristiano Ronaldo mm. because his time at Manchester United has come to an end by mutual consent however his World Cup run is as good as ever he's now scored in five World Cups a record in the men's game He's always produced big performances in Portugal, regardless of whether he's struggled in the club game. He's always brought it when it counts for his international side. And he's truly passionate. He doesn't clearly didn't love Manchester United towards the end. His emotional reaction while the national anthems were being sung shows how much he does care about his country. A big performance from him, a 3-2 win over Ghana and an exciting game. Can Ronaldo finally win a World Cup? It will be interesting to see what happens with Ronaldo. Talking about him leaving out, leaving Old Trafford. We talked about it last week, didn't we? Uh, that the the end was nigh, and the end was nigh. It was, it was the next day, by the sound of it. So it was one of them. You know, both parties are happy that you know the arrangement to leave was on good terms. Nobody comes out uh, badly. Um, Ronaldo now goes to the World Cup, plays for Portugal. Great performance by him. Great goal from from the penalty. You know, plays in the last five World Cups, and that's it. Could cement him as being one of the best players of all time. Will he end up guiding Portugal to win the actual tournament? It'll be a big ask. But you can't, you can't say that he's not amongst the greatest of all time now for what he's achieved. No, you can't, Robert. He's an all-time great player. His attitude problems could could give you some difficulties in finding a new club, but. His legacy in terms of how good a player he is, that's most certainly assured. You talk about his attitude. People want Cristiano Ronaldo in their team. So it, it will be a small sacrifice to be able to put him in your shirt and then your shirt sells a million shirts around the world. The, the big question is, who can afford to, 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 to you know tempt him to play? I know there's talk of him going to Saudi Arabia. There's still talk about him playing the Premier League with Chelsea because uh, he wants that one last shot of European Champions League football. But it will be interesting to see where he ends up. I'm sure when the World Cup is over, he will tell us uh, the, but the better World Cup he has, the more chance he will stay at the top table of European football. Most certainly, I mean, his stock right now is as low as it's ever been. Mm. But a good, a good World Cup could send it shooting back into superstardom and he could find himself worth a lot of money again. It's difficult, isn't it? Because he's a player who has defied the laws of physics through constant hard work. Anybody at Manchester United will tell you he's the first in the gym, he's the last out. 
He really puts in the effort, and because of that, he's been able to keep his body ticking over far longer than a player of his age usually does. But despite that, Father Time catches up with everyone and has it caught up with Cristiano. If it has, I don't think he'll find it easy to deal with it. Yeah, like I say, everyone gets old, don't they, James? And they lose that extra yard, and Cristiano Ronaldo is a, is a you know a world class player, and and sometimes it takes the world-class player a while to realise that he can't hit the same heights as he has uh, once. Like I said before, James, if, if he continues to play well in the World Cup, his stock will rise and then uh, the cream of European football might come sniffing to see if he can do one or a couple of more seasons before he does eventually go off into the sunset in uh, Saudi Arabia or America or somewhere else around the world. Talking about being linked uh, to, to Manchester United, the, the uh, Glazer family are hoping for a collective amnesia uh, so they can put up a cheeky bid in for him, see if he can bring him back to Old Trafford. That would that would cause a, a sort of heads turning there. It most certainly would, Rob. If Cristiano Ronaldo ended up back at Manchester United, <laughs> I'm not sure what I'd do. I mean, who knows? If Manchester United don't improve under Eric Ten Hag, we end up 14th or 15th in the Premier League in five seasons time and Ronaldo's been struggling in Saudi Arabia or what have you. Who knows? Maybe there's a third hole coming for Cristiano Ronaldo. Mm. You never know. You never know. Talking about Manchester United, their uh, uh, owners, the Glazers, are looking to sell James. What do you make of that? It'd be fantastic for the club. We've wanted rid of the Glazers for forever, essentially, since they've uh, since they took over the club, fans wanted them out and that hatred towards the family has just grown and grown and grown into bigger and bigger protests and I think for the sake of the family and the sake of the club, it's time for them to go. Bought for £800 million estimated value of Manchester United, now £6.6 billion, James. It shows how big football has become. Yeah, the money in football just seems to be skyrocketing. I mean, just compare, when Ronaldo left Manchester United in 2009, I think it was, for Real Madrid, he cost £80 million, mm. And that blew absolutely everybody away. Let's not forget that just a few weeks prior, Kaka brought the, tra- brought the transfer record for about £56 million. Yeah. So that shows just how big that £80 million was. And now... We're in the hundreds of millions, and Harry Kane, uh, players, not Harry Kane, Harry Maguire, for example, is costing more than he from Ronaldo did. Then the money is just absolutely obscene, and it doesn't shock me that it's skyrocketed so much. So obviously, if United are on the market, who buys them, James? It's a good question. Uh, there's a lot of people linked to the club. I just hope that it's somebody who genuinely cares, who has a look for football, because the Glazers didn't. They were businessmen first and foremost. They, I mean, they're quite quite open in admitting that they didn't even know the offside rule. Mm. I'd like somebody to come in who loves Manchester United and who can connect with the fans in a way that the Glazers never could. Because I feel like that's what we need right now. I think the club needs a better relationship with the people who buy the tickets. Yeah, let's talk of Jim Ratcliffe, uh, Manchester United supporter. Let's talk of Apple uh, coming in. Uh, there's all different type of people uh, from Saudi Arabia. It's going to be interesting to see who one, the Malcolm, the Glazers decide to sell two, uh, and two, if the fans accept. Of those three you mentioned there, I think Ratcliffe's the best. You obviously mentioned Apple, and I know Musk is in the mix as well, and Saudi Arabia. But these are all, you know, big issues in football. We don't, Do we want necessarily a tech giant coming in and taking over Manchester United, or do we want the Saudi Arabians coming in and having that controversy there? For me, somebody who supports the club in Ratcliffe would be my preferred option. I'm sure if Elon Musk comes in, he'll tweet us and let us all know. He will, but who knows if it's Elon Musk or not, because we don't know if the verification is correct. Who knows anymore, <laughs> Rob? It's all up in the air. This is true, James. So that's all the football chat. Now moving on to boxing, and I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Whiteside. And so much has gone on at the weekend between 
Dillian White and John Ryder both getting big wins. But first things first, there's a big one, so to speak, I guess. Tyson Fury, Derek Chisora going down this weekend. Both of us on this show, Paul, we've been very vocal. We're not fans of this fight. And firstly, let's look at the pay-per-view point. 27 quid for what, which is on paper, a bit of a mismatch. Yeah, I think the, the pay-per-views probably priced a lot of people out. I mean, we talk at the moment, don't we, about the cost of living crisis and, you know, Christmas is coming up as well. It's a time of the year where people haven't got pots of cash and, you know, it just seems an awful lot of money to watch a, a fight on television, really. So, um, and yeah, it's not as if it's too... I mean, Tyson Fury, don't get me wrong, is a, a fantastic fighter, but Jerry Chisora, a guy probably who's on the over the hill a bit now, on the wrong side of his career. It's not two elite fighters going against each other and then you probably have a justification for, for, for a pay-per-view price then. So I don't get why it's pay-per-view, to be honest with you, but that's another story. But no, it's not a fight that really, really does it for me, but it, it could turn into a cracking fight. We don't know, do we, until the fight gets underway, but it's not one that's wetting the appetite, let's put it that way. It's certainly not, especially off the back of the Anthony Joshua shouts. At one point in time, it was looking like that AJ fight, the biggest fight arguably in British history, was actually going to take place. And Fury sets all these deadlines. It doesn't end up happening. He gets in with somebody who he's already beaten comprehensively twice. Would he be getting as much stick if he'd been getting in with Otto Wallen for the second time, somebody who actually gave him problems, or Frank Sanchez or Andy Ruiz who are in those WBC rankings? No, because I think those sort of fights, particularly like the Ruiz fight you mentioned there, probably caused Tyson Fury more problems. Could be a potential banana skin for him, where Chisora has fought him twice before, beat him convincingly. Um, it just seems to me, this is no way disrespectful to, to Chisora at all. I, I wouldn't want to down-talk him, but it just seems to me like it's a not an easy fight, but a fight that, that Fury knows he's not really got much fear of, really. Um, to me, as a fighter, you should want to fight against the best and, and test yourself and probably have that sort of fear in your training because that's what should motivate you and what should drive you. You shouldn't be going in there with somebody that you know you're going to be you know, pretty pretty comfortably, really, and not going to cause you much trouble because that, to me, is a pointless exercise. What's, what's the point in training and sacrificing for 12 weeks when you know you're going to get the result anyway? It doesn't seem to make any sense, especially with this Alexander Usyk fight on the line. You'd imagine that there's better fighters in those rankings that could have got him better prepared. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It does. I mean, I'm trying to compare it to other sports, but I suppose you can't really. But um, it just seems like you've got an elite guy who's at the top of his game. You think you've got a challenge in, against the best of the best now just to sort of continue your legacy. And then you're dropping down somebody that you fought in the past twice before. A guy that, as I said before, is probably towards the back end of his career now and not really got a lot to fight for. It just seems strange that, that you want to pick your wits against him, really. So, so yeah, I mean, the obvious choices for me, and, and I think you yourself as well would agree, that, that Tyson Fury, you know, we'd love to see him fight Alexander Usyk. You know, a guy who's, who's got the belts and, um, you know, he gets so much hype and, you know, he's so skillful. It'd be a great fight. That I think even the Joshua fight as well, I think people would love to see that just for the sheer size of the two men. That that sort of fight sells for me. But Chisora, I don't know. He's not the, the sort of the guy that, that grows off your tongue, if you like. And, and and I'm not being disrespectful to him there. He could come and surprise us and, and get the win. It's heavyweight boxing, isn't it, at the end of the day? He could flatten Tyson Fury. We don't know. But then we'll both have to eat humble pie, won't we? But I just can't see it. No, nor can I. I can't see anything Del Boy can do to get the victory here. And that's 
almost ludicrous considering you know he's a top 10 top 20 heavyweight but because we've seen it before and we've seen Tyson neutralize everything Derek has to offer and the fact that the fans booed them out of the arena last time because the fight was so dull and, and Fury was even turning southpaw it was almost like an exhibition yeah. it really does turn the audience off yeah. is there anything right now Tyson can do to rebuild his reputation because originally back in the day when he fought Klitschko his reputation was an all-time low he received a hammering from the press, a hammering from the fans. He went into depression. He makes his ultimate comeback, and he becomes a bit of a hero. Now it feels like his his popularity is, is plummeted, to say the least. And he's taken on this fight that nobody wants to see, despite the fact that there were so many other people available. He's ignoring what the fans are wanting. And for me, he's almost in that position again of not being the hero, and it's reflected in those ticket sales. I mean, 94,000 people went to Wembley Stadium to watch him fight White. And this fight's barely past 50,000. And granted, still amazing ticket sales, but it's 44,000 less. Yeah, that, that's right. I think, for me, the only thing he could do, really, now is get this fight out of the way, uh, win this fight, and then announce something within sort of two weeks of the fight, you know, something big. Uh, and that's going to really propel him again then and get him in the public eye. But once this fight's done with, say he wins this fight, you know, he, he knocks Chisora out or, or whatever, then we all sort of expected that anyway. So where does he go from there then? Is something going to happen? Is, is he going to sign some, a contract with Joshua or, or, or whatever, or Wilder again, or, or Usyk, or Dylan White? What's going to happen after that? I think that's what we're going to have to wait and see for us. But, you know, should he lose this fight, then does he retire? I don't know. It's a, it's, it's a really strange situation. and Looking forward to seeing how it unfolds. I just hope, you know, with it being pay-per-view and, and people going, as you said, 50-odd thousand people going, it's a good fight and an entertaining fight. What we don't want is an absolute bore fest where they just sort of hold on to each other for 12 rounds and we don't see any magic at all. So I, I really hope we do see some entertainment. Yeah, we're hoping that Chisora can bring it and perhaps if Fury's somewhat off his game or he's underestimated Del Boy, maybe there can be a competitive element there. The fight that I see potentially providing the entertainment is Daniel Dubois versus Kevin Lorena. The England man, he's young, he's green, he clearly carries a lot of power, he's rebuilt well from the Joe Joyce defeat, beating the likes of Trevor Bryan. He's got hold of that WBA regular belt. He's improving leaps and bounds under Shane McGuigan, but he's got a difficult operator in front of him on Saturday night. Lorena, a former IBO champion at Cruiserweight, tricky, Southport, and he's going to offer a difficult test. Yeah, I think so, yeah. But these are the tests he needs now. You know, saying like you've mentioned there about the... Uh... About the fight with Joe Joyce, that was a, a, a big defeat that for him. And uh, sometimes you've got to start rebuilding that career. But this is a tricky one, though. It won't be easy for him, but he's a heavy hitter, is Dubois. And uh, we know he's got a lot of talent as well. Still a relatively young man. And, you know, he's got, you know, a good, good career still ahead of him. So this is a big test for him, but one he needs to be up for because he's fighting a tricky man. He most certainly is. Uh, Perhaps an added element of controversy in this one. Uh, Kevin Lorena failed a drugs test in the past. Should he be getting an opportunity in the first place at the titles? Um, it's another tricky one because people have failed tests before, haven't they? We're opening a can of worms, really, aren't we, with, with things like that? So I'm not so sure. Did he serve a ban for that? He didn't he did. serve a ban. Yeah, well, that 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 sort of sticks out a bit for me. Because if you've served the ban and you know you've done you know the punishment, I'm still not so sure whether you should be fighting for titles. I don't know. I'm a big believer in, in, in drugs in sport as a no-no. I mean, anything you're taking to performance enhance you or help you, um, 
it's, it's tricky sometimes. Sometimes you can take something and not realise it, but you you still got to be on your game. So it's a real, real tricky one. It's something I don't like. Uh, to be honest with you, and I'd probably have to say, no, he, he shouldn't be fighting. I think once you've taken stuff and you've broken the rules, I think that should be it. I think it should be the end of your career. I agree, Paul. And while we're on the topic of failed drugs tests, ironically, another South African fighter, and with Frank Warren promotions, somebody who has done amazing stuff in the lower weight classes. We've seen him over here beating the likes of Paul Butler, winning titles in multiple weight divisions, but now we're worrying whether those performances were artificially enhanced because Zolani Tete has failed a drugs test. Yeah, it's another worry, isn't it? I mean, we talk about it all the time, don't we? And retrospectively looking back at stuff when guys have won titles and beaten people and then failed drug tests, it just it just ruins things, really, doesn't it? And it really does get my back up sometimes, you know, when you, you think about all the fighters who haven't done that and people who fought for world titles or, or been really good and not had the chance of fighting for a world title and probably not had the career that they probably should have had and they've worked really hard for it and never taken any drugs. So, so yeah, it, it's it's a real blot on the sport. And I don't know how you get around it because it's it's been around for a while now, hasn't it? People failing drug tests and taking drugs and... No, it's um, it's a shame. It really is a shame on the sport. It is, especially considering you've got Jason Cunningham there, who had the European title in his grasp, was moving towards a shot at the world title, and then suddenly it's taken away from him. He's knocked out badly by Tete, and they weren't on a level playing field. No, well, that's right. I mean, if you're taking these performance-enhancing uh, drugs and what have you, you're bound to have an edge, aren't you? I mean... They were, a, lot, a lot of them are, t- are different things, aren't they? And then, but you're bound to have an edge over your opponent, and you know it might make you hit harder, it might make you be fitter and stronger and, and last longer in the ring. Your, your fitness is enhanced. I don't know, but you're bound to have an edge, and, and it's an unfair edge. And the punishment should be, for me, that you don't fight again, not a professional level. I completely agree, Paul. It's going to be interesting to see how this transpires. He's denying any wrongdoing, but in these cases, that is often what happens. But moving on now to some positivity surrounding the lower weight classes. In the early hours of December 4th, the Sunday, just after Fury will have likely defeated Derek Chisora, Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez is back in the wing. He's taken on Juan Francisco Estrada. These two men have shared... 24 fantastic rounds spread over two fights. Chocolatito winning the first. Everybody seemingly having him winning the second. He doesn't get the decision quite controversially. Hopefully, a win this weekend will solidify his legacy as one of the best to ever do this. Yeah, in an ideal world, yeah. I think you'd expect Chocolatito to get, or you want him to get the result and get get the win. After that, especially after that second fight, you said with a bit of controversy there. and I think he'll get the result this time. And, uh, and get the win, definitely. Yeah, so do I. But looking back over the weekend, two big cards. Firstly, Paul, both in London. We hate that. It reflected in the ticket sales. I mean, there weren't too many in at the O2 Arena. If you looked at BT Sport, there was a lot of empty seats there. The O2 Arena, you've got Dylan White, who's pretty much a household name, only selling around 5,000 tickets. It's not good for the fans. It's not good for the broadcasters. It's not good for anybody. No, it's not. And I think if you look at perhaps perhaps the opponent, I'm not too sure um, whether that was the, the right opponent. I don't know. But it, it just seems to me that people weren't really interested in, in that, that fight. And when you look at, back at the fight, it, it wasn't, you know, the best fight ever, was it really? It wasn't one that had you gripped at the edge of your seats. It was, they both sort of neutralised each other and nullified each other's threat. And yeah, so, and the rider fight as well, you've got a guy like Zach Parker who's, 
you know, probably would have been best off fighting it somewhere local to him, maybe Derby Arena or somewhere like that, where he probably would have sold a lot more tickets. So, as I said before, it's, it's an expensive time, isn't it? You know, this time of year for people, and I think that's been shown in the ticket sales. But, but yeah, it was a, a poor, a poor outcome to the, the card, really. It was very much snow. And now looking at the two bills, we'll focus on matchrooms first. Dylan White versus Jermaine Franklin. The American hadn't proved much, but the rumours from the gyms was that he's very much a capable operator. And I think it showed in the ring. He put some flashy combinations together. And a lot of people had him winning the contest. Ultimately, White got it. He's now likely going to move on to that Anthony Joshua fight. But for me, he didn't look like somebody who's going to trouble AJ. No. Um, you know, if you go back to the fight when he fought AJ a number of years ago now, and you know, I, I thought he gave him an awful lot of problems, but that that white that we saw at the weekend looks a long way away from that now. He's he's quite a bit older now, and to me, he didn't. I don't know. He didn't seem to have that bite that that he used to have there. And I think Anthony Joshua could just walk through that really, and I think he would do. Um, I was very disappointed with his performance. Really, I thought I thought it was a bit of a of a boring fight, really. It wasn't anything that really caught the imagination. They sort of laboured through the the twelve rounds, didn't they? And uh, and yeah, that, I can't see him troubling Joshua at all, really. And what about Franklin Paul? Because he could have got an opportunity against AJ. That's not going to happen for him now. And we often see these fighters come over. They get one shot, and then it doesn't work out, and we never see them again, despite their ability. I mean, just an example. As much as we love him, I remember when Anthony Crawler fought his last fight at the Manchester Arena, the opponent that night probably did enough to beat him, and we've never seen him since. Are we going to see Franklin again now, or do you think he's going to fade into the abyss? Um, I'd I hope so, because you know he, he gave uh, White an awful lot of trouble there. It was a pretty close fight, if you look at the scorecards. I think one of the judges had it down as, as even, so um, you'd like to think so, but as you said there, it, it tends to happen now in, in boxing. You you know, fighters just drift away and then and, and drift into the unknown, don't they? But I think he's still got a bit of talent there, and uh, you know, to trouble the, the the top ten. So let's let's hope he does. Let's hope he stays around. But you know, time will tell. And now looking at the undercard, we had a great heavyweight contest for the British title between Fabio Wardley and Nathan Gorman. The two fighters, polar opposites in terms of their amateur experience. Wardley just had a few white-collar fights. Gorman, boxer England. So from that perspective, you're looking at the pedigree of Gorman. You're expecting him to have the capability to box rings around his opponent. In the first round, he did that. In the second, Wardley's power proved a little bit too much. And Gorman went down several times before he was ultimately stopped at the third. What, how do you look at this, Paul? You've got Wardley, who's put together really a pretty impressive performance, getting rid of Gorman even quicker than Daniel Dubois did. But at the same time, Gorman came in, I think, almost 30 pounds heavier than he did for that Dubois fight. And you're wondering at this stage, despite his talent, what's he going to amount to? Yeah, I was disappointed, really. You know, look at the the shape of him. Um, You know, Gorman's got an awful lot of talent. He's proved that before. He's He's a good boxer. Uh, I think with Wardley, though, you've got a guy there who's who's got that nastiness in him. He's a very spiteful puncher, very strong. And I think you could see in that fight there that he was he was too much, too much for Gorman. And, you know, he's a talented lad, as you mentioned before. He didn't have an amateur pedigree, done white collar, but he's all got the talent, got the bravery, you know. And, um, and yeah, yeah, a real, a real dangerous fighter for me. Gorman, did he take it seriously? You'd like to hope he, he did do. But, you know, coming in 30 pounds heavy, that's a lot of weight to carry about with you, that. And, you know, you, you're a bit sort of cumbersome at the when you're heavier. Like, 30 pounds is a lot. So, perhaps he was a bit more cumbersome, a bit more slower at, the, at that weight. Because he didn't look, 
anything like he did against Dubois. So, um, so, but no, I'm very impressed with Wardley though. Very, very impressed. I think he can uh, he can be dangerous for a lot of bigger and better fighters in the divisions. Hopefully, because he's an entertaining man, and it's clear he's got his heart set on the sport. He's learned a lot in a very short period of time, so it's going to be interesting to see how he gets on. Now, moving on to the BT card, we've got Zach Parker, somebody who's been pushed quite a lot in recent years. He's not quite had that defining night. I mean, it looked like he was going to get the Andrade fight on not one but two occasions. Originally, it was going to be at Pride Park in Derby, which had been absolutely massive for him. But he ends up taking on John Ryder, somebody who really should have won the world titles against Callum Smith. It was taken away from him. He's proved time and time again that he's at world level. Pretty weird fight. Uh, Steve Bunce, I think, had it 3-1 for Ryder at the time of the stoppage. Parker pulling out at the start of the fifth round with an injured hand, showing it to everybody in the ring, showing it to the cameras outside the ring. A very strange finish. Was it a psychological issue? Has his hand really gone? How do you weigh the whole thing up? I'm not too sure, really. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but it just didn't look any different to what an hand would normally look. But I don't know. It just seems strange because I think this, for me, was Parker's big chances. It really was against John Ryder. Let's give John Ryder all the respect in the world, but he's a fighter that's probably a last chance saloon. I think for him, if he'd have lost that fight, it's probably game over. But uh, but now he's won it. He, he, he carries on. And, you know, I, I like Ryder. I think... I thought he was robbed against Callum Smith and, you know, he's not a fighter who blinks on about it. He just sort of gets his head down and, and gets on with it and tries to prove people wrong. And yeah, it was a real strange finish because it was probably sort of hotting up into a decent fight there. I thought, I thought Ryder, you know, a bit of a shaky start and then, uh, and then started taking the rounds as, as Bunce, Steve Bunce there, three, one. I think he's probably right there. I think Ryder was just starting to uh, take away, away from Parker there. So, you know, did Parker not fancy it? I'm not too sure. You'll probably find out with his, with his x-rays and his scans and things like that. But a missed opportunity for Parker, definitely, because now there's talk of, uh, of John Ryder going fighting, you know, Al- Alvarez. Yeah, that'd be an absolutely massive opportunity for John Ryder. And for somebody who was so unlucky not to get the verdict that night against Callum Smith, I don't think anybody could begrudge him getting a big opportunity. And someone else who's got a massive, massive chance is Liam Smith, because he's finally booked himself an opportunity against Chris Eubank Jr. at the Manchester Arena. Yeah, this is a it's a strange place to have it, the Manchester Arena for a, for a Liverpool fighter, but uh, but no, the, the fight fans from Liverpool, I'm sure, will make the journey, and you've got an awful lot of Manchester fight fans as well, like guys from London, uh, well Brighton, I think it is where you where Eubank's from will be coming up. So it's a it's a good fight that you know you've got two real real warriors there, two guys who will give it their all. Liam Smith is is not to be underestimated though. I think he's a he's a very very well skilled fighter. If you look down his record, he, he's had some great wins and uh, some big wins as well. And he's he's at a big he's at world level. Liam Liam Smith, there's no doubt about that. Chris Eubank Jr. Well, we'll see whether he is, won't we? There's a lot of promise from him throughout his career, but this is probably his biggest test. I think it's the, the toughest fight he'll have had. Definitely, I know the the Liam Williams fight was a tough one, but I'd say Liam Smith. Yeah, he's beat Liam Williams in the past, I think, hasn't he? So uh, he's, he's a step up from Liam Williams. So this will this will be a good fight, and it's a good British fight as well. And it's I'm, I'm sure the arena will be sold out for that. I can't wait for that. I think it's gonna be a cracker. Yeah, I'll be buzzing that night in the Manchester area, and hopefully Paul will be there to witness it live. But the final fight that's worth talking about this week, Paul Regis Cabrera back in action, defeating Jose Sapida for the vacant WBC world title. A few years ago, he fought Josh Taylor at the O2 Arena in the final of the World Boxing Super Series. Very close fight. 
he's then been in the abyss ever since. He's now back. He's got a world title around his waist. And there's big fights out there for him. There could be a rematch against Taylor. He could fight Jack Cattrall. Tiafimo Lopez is another. It's good to see Pro Gray back in the mix. It is, yeah. And you mentioned there, there's some mouth-watering fights from there. He's put himself right in the in the window now, hasn't it, with those fighters? So um, so it's a really good division, that really competitive division with some massive names in it. So, yeah, and as you said there, he's done really well in his career and sort of dropped away a bit. So I think it's nice when you see fighters like that get that second chance. And, um, you know, he's an entertaining fighter as well. So, uh, so yeah, there's some some great fights in that division. You just mentioned Cattrall there and uh, and the Taylor fight. And that, surely that's going to happen again. And then the winner of that will probably progress and and maybe fight progress so so some great fights coming up for him and yeah please for him please for him to get back in the mix yeah it's going to be an excellent few weeks for boxing really with obviously Tyson Fury back in the mix you've got Roman Gonzalez there's some big Sky Sports shows coming up before Christmas Josh Warrington as well and we're going to be covering it all on the sports zone but now it's time for rugby so I'm going to throw it back over to Rob Paul. So we're joined by Paul Whiteside from The Devil in Detail. We're going to be talking rugby league now, Paul. Obviously, World Cup just finished. Um, you know, a great uh, occasion for the sport at Old Trafford. Uh, but now it's obviously time for all the clubs to sort of re- relax and sort of regenerate ready for next season. Yeah, yeah, you say relax, but most teams, I think if not all teams, are back into pre-season training now, aren't they? And uh, I think some of the players that played in the World Cup have had a little bit more time off, haven't they, for a couple more weeks. But yeah, the all systems go now, really, won't it? Getting the fitness back and obviously have a little bit of time off at Christmas and then and then back in at January, you know, looking forward to friendlies and that. So yeah, the World Cup was uh, was very enjoyable tournament, I thought. And, you know, the wheelchair one was great. The, yeah, the ladies' final as well, the ladies' tournament. So we all... All blended into a, a real good festival of rugby league. I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. It was great, you know, coming home from work and being able to watch rugby league on the on like midweek nights. You know, when there's nothing else on the telly, so uh, I really enjoyed that. So, uh, so yeah, it was a shame the way it ended for England, but is what it is. I suppose we just got to keep going forward, and hopefully we can do better next time. But I think the tournament as a whole was was really enjoyable. Would you would you say was the World Cup was a success? Um, I enjoyed it. I mean, I don't know. The, the fundamentals of it if it made money or if the crowds were good and all that I think people will be able to tell you that but for me I thought it was successful I think if you look at it on the whole over the whole three competitions people at work have spoke to me about the, the wheelchair final and said you know, I was absolutely addicted to that I've never even watched rugby league before and I watched the wheelchair final and it got people talking about the sport at the end of the day it's wheelchair ladies or men's it's rugby league um, and if we can get more people involved in rugby league that, that, that's got to be a positive thing so uh, I mean look at the semi-finals I mean Australia and, and New Zealand was one of the best games I've seen for a long time and then if you look at the, the England game as well another thrilling contest so, so I think it was a success. I think it was a few blowout scores, wasn't there? But you're always going to get that. I think the tournament on the whole was was really enjoyable, and um, you know I really enjoyed it. I think obviously this World Cup, lots of uh, teams involved, and it's the, the teams like uh, you know Cook Islands and and you know Samoa, and the teams that aren't necessarily among the the, the top three in the world, as in England, Australia, New Zealand, able to play and, and show what their talents are about because giving players opportunity to play at the highest level only improves them. Yeah, of course it does. And you look how successful Samoa were. I mean, they were beat by 60 points against England in the opening game of the tournament. And, you know, obviously, I think they went into that game 
from a personal point of view, I think they, they undercooked England a bit and perhaps underestimated and thought they were going to wipe the floor with them and then didn't. And then they, they realised it was a reality shock for them. They got their heads down, they knuckled down and they were one of the teams of the tournament, weren't they, really? And I mean, that final against uh, against Australia, I mean, they weren't blown away. You know, 30 points to 10, it was, wasn't a, a disgrace. And the way they played against England in the semi-final was, was, was a great showing. So I think they were a real success story of the tournament. Um, you've got Jamaica who, who came in. And obviously, it's a big learning curve for them. So hopefully, in the next World Cup, they'll, they'll be better for it and it'll spread the game. So, uh, so that's what you're hoping for, anyway. Um, but, uh, but on the whole, I thought it was it was a great tournament. I mean, Wales as well were another side I thought that, that impressed me when they played. I think they were a bit unlucky in a few of their games. You could have gone the other way, uh, as you mentioned there, Cook Islands. Well, another side that were unlucky, Papua New Guinea, Fiji. They all they all did really well. So, um, yeah, good tournament, and let's hope we, we have another one soon. Yeah, France. Uh- 2025, 2024, obviously something to aim for, obviously England uh, with their sort of semi-final uh, exit, we're looking to make go one better in that tournament. Yeah, definitely. Well, I don't see why not. I don't think we're a million miles away, Rob. I mean, we'll never know how we would have gone in the final against Australia. I think that's what we all wanted to see in England against Australia game or England against New Zealand, however it would have panned out. And we didn't get to play against them, did we? So it was a shame and, and we'll never know. But, you know, Australia were good. They're like a machine out of the way they play. Um, and they're absolute benchmark for, for rugby league. I thought they were, were thrilling to watch throughout the tournament. I think for England, we've got some talented players there. And, you know, it's about keeping that talent, nurturing that talent now. And I'm sure there'll be other players that will break through in the next couple of years as well. And there'll obviously be players in that side that will probably stop playing at, at that high level and retire and what have you. That's, that's the way things go. But I think we've got some quality players and we've just got to keep going. And I think we've just got to look at Australia as a model. You know, as the benchmark for professionalism, the way they play the sport. And I think if you can learn things from them and, and learn from the Australian way, you know, it'll, it'll help us going forward as well. Yeah. And obviously the money made from the World Cup goes to these uh, developing nations. And, and then obviously better coaching, better preparation uh, and hopefully the, the the talent and the quality goes up. Yeah, certainly. And I think, you know, the way the, the quality and the talent goes up as well is is playing He's playing these games, playing in these tournaments, you know, getting that experience. You can't beat experience. You can do all the coaching you want, but game day and getting match experiences, that's where it, where it's at for me. And, um, you know, I think playing in these big tournaments and learning as you go, you know, is is, is the way to go forward. So, uh, so, yeah, it's been great to see some new nations coming into the sport. And I think they'll benefit going forward and get stronger and stronger. You mean, look at France, I mean, when they first, um, you know, go back 20 years or so, 30 years or so, we weren't really holding a candle to England, really. But now you've got two, well, we had two sides in our elite competition last season in Catalans and Toulouse. I know Toulouse have dropped out, but look how successful Catalans have been. It's really brought the French game forward, in my opinion. So, uh, so long that may, can, may that continue and let's hope other nations can uh, strive forward as well. Because that's what's important, I suppose. It's about development, uh, both on and off the field. The crowds growing, uh, uh, you know, people wanting to get into rugby league, and and that's what we want off the back of this World Cup. We want engagement to go up. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I mentioned the wheelchair game before, because I think that's been the one of the, the big success stories of the tournament. I thought the way that captured people's imagination. I mean, you want a World Cup for me to be successful, to capture people who were not necessarily involved in rugby league. I mean, people like us, you know, it's bread and butter for us. We'll watch it, whatever happens. But if you've got the general public watching the sport who you probably wouldn't really watch it, you know, and they're they're sat there on a Friday night having a tea and they're switching the rugby league on and enjoying it, then it's been a success. 
And, and that's what we want. We want it to be a household sport, a sport that people recognise. I mean, everybody knows about football, don't they? It's just part and parcel of the British way of life. But we want rugby league to be that way as well. And I think the, the wheelchair game has, has helped out, out there. And I think the way England played as well in the men's. And obviously, you've got the ladies as well who, who did really well. And they just come up short. So I think it's, it's put rugby league in a good light. And that's what we want. It was on terrestrial television as well. And uh, that's a big thing. So I think this World Cup has done uh, has done rugby the world a good. It's going to be very exciting talking about. Let's move on to Salford Devils. Uh, obviously, they're off season, but uh, enjoying the off season, they hold events for fans to pick up these tickets. And there is one. I think it's next Sunday. Um, where fans can go down to the AJ Bell and meet the players. That's a very exciting time. Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah, especially for the, the, the younger supporters as well to go and meet the players and pick your season ticket up. I'm, I'm hoping to get down there on Sunday and, and pick mine and pick my daughter's ticket up as well. Just renewed mine last week. And yeah, it is. It, fixtures are out now as well and it'll, it'll soon be here the season. You know, you get to this time, you get Christmas out of the way and then you're looking at friendly games then, aren't you? So, uh, yeah, the club have done really well there with that. And I believe the new kit is being revealed. Is it on the 1st of December? So that's... Uh-huh this coming week next week I'm not sure what day is the 1st of December it's 28th Monday Tuesday. is it Thursday something like that yep. so, oh I get right that was a good guess so, <laughs> uh, so yeah I know people are looking forward to that we've seen a few glimpses on, on, on Twitter of it haven't we it looks like red and white to me but um, yeah exciting time it's going to be a busy week yeah Sunday the 4th of December is the season ticket collection day uh, you can meet the players do tunnel tours mini museum rugby league skills with women's team and foundation children's choir rugby league wheelchair tombola and merchandise so it will be a fantastic event uh, from 9am to 1pm at the AJ Bell Stadium so hopefully a lot of fans will go down and that's uh, where everyone gets together just for Christmas and the, you know, the, the buzz starts for the new season yeah, you can't beat a good Tom Bowler either, Rob. So, uh, so, no, looking forward to it. And it's good that the club have uh, put this event on. I think supporters are always asking about this, aren't they? Every season you get them saying, are we going to have a launch day and a, a sort of a, an open day? And, and the fans really do embrace it, don't they? And love going to them as well. And it's a good facility we've got there at the AJ Bell. You know, you can get people in in that big room at the top of the West Stand and, you know, get the players in there. I think it'll be great that, you know, hopefully the weather looks a bit more settled for next week. Might get a nice dry day. And, uh, and yeah, children's choirs, you know, things like that. Christmas is on the way, so getting getting that festive feel. Now, 4th of December, we're on our advent calendars by then, aren't we? So uh, the countdown to Christmas is on the way. Yeah, talking about the new season, uh, the the club and the Salford Devils Foundation announced that there's a new tap rugby uh, club uh, with uh, the Salford Devils Foundation, the NQ Rebels, uh, taking part. A joint thing, asking for players to come and play. That's good. Look, sounds exciting. Uh, tap rugby is a really energetic sport, and I'm sure people out there want to get involved. Yeah, certainly, certainly. We don't rugby league, what, whatever sort of code of rugby league you play is exciting isn't it and uh, and yeah that that sounds good to me and the more people we get involved in the sport in the local area is 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 is, is, is great that's what we want we want people to be involved playing rugby league talking about rugby league watching Salford getting involved and playing the sport themselves so it's all good yeah, 1st of December was the shirt. That's exciting. Like you said, I think it might be a flashback to the, the, the Citinary shirt, uh, which was a kind of a red V. 
Yeah, it looked that way, didn't it? I, I mean, I think I put on Twitter about the ESAB one from the the, the Knights, you know, the Glory Year shirt, the one that you've got. Um, it did look a bit like that, but uh, it was only a flash of, of white and red. So uh, I think white and red for me, I know we've had black on our shirts before, but I think white and red is a traditional Salford sort of colours, you know, with the, with the V on as well. And with the, the one with a white S as well was another tremendous shirt. So uh, they're always pretty good. I think Salford shirts are always quality. Um, especially the home one, so uh, I'm looking forward to how it how, how it how it looks, and I'm I'm pretty sure there'll be supporters will be after uh, buying them on Sunday. The, the lot I don't know if they can, but they can sort of pre-order them or whatever. It's it's the right time now, isn't it? Christmas time, kids will be wanting the shirts and what have you. So looking forward to seeing what it looks like. Yeah, the club have announced uh, a friendly uh, with Wigan. Uh, Sam Powell, Wigan player, a friendly on the eighth of January. That'll be exciting. Obviously, first run out for the team. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's good to to get the the friendly games under your belt, and I think it's always good to play a side who are in the same league as you. I think you know, no disrespect to the lower league team, I think it's good to 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 play somebody who's going to give you a bit of a test, and I'm sure Wigan will. You know, Sam Powell will be looking forward to raise some money for his testimonial there. He's been a, a bit of a stalwart for Wigan, hasn't he, over the last ten years? So that's that's a good test for us. I'm not sure whether we've got um, a friendly in line to play Swinton. We usually line up against Swinton, don't we? As well, we'll have to watch that one, but. Um, but yeah, Wigan's a good test. Was away from home as well. That'll be a, be a big game that and uh, one to look forward to. Yeah, because obviously we normally have uh, Swinton, then we have like a first division side, and then we have a Super League side. Uh, Paul Rowley has seemed to mix that up regarding sort of friendlies. So that that's is that a good sign, obviously for him and his players that they, they want to do it different. Yeah, possibly, possibly. I mean, I'd love to see us play boxing day. We've not played boxing day for years, have we? I know a lot of clubs have friendlies on boxing day. I think that'd be great. But no, I'm not so sure. I'd like to see us play at least two. Um, two or three, I think, is is about right for me. So we'll have to watch the space and see who else we line up against. I mean, possibly Lee. Could we play Lee in a friend? We played them a couple of times as well, haven't we? So... Rochdale on it. I think we've had a few friendlies with them over the years down at Spotland. So, so yeah, we'll have to we'll have to see how it goes. But really looking forward to it. that Wigan game's a big test for us there. And uh, you know that it, what you can do all the pre-season training you want, but you've got to get that match fitness, haven't you? And that match sharpness, and you get that from from starting your friendlies, getting your combinations together. And uh, Wigan will be a good one. Yeah, this week, uh, 16 and 18, uh, academy players have been, have been training. Uh, it's great, obviously, you know, the, our coaches are involved in that, teaching them sort of the tricks of the trade and hopefully they'll be taking that uh, skills into the future. Yeah, it's great that we've got these pathways, Rob, isn't it now? And, uh, you know, talent coming through. We, we saw a bit of it last season with the reserves. You know, we had a few, we had five of them, didn't we, play for the, uh, was it five or six? Mm. He played in one of the games for us, didn't we, in uh, one of the Super League games. And and it was really exciting, wasn't it? The supporters had a real buzz over that. So uh, that's another real positive thing for the club. And it's it's good to see that we've got that, that sort of youth development side now. Yeah, and obviously the 2023 season uh, is is obviously coming uh, quick. Obviously after Christmas, the, the time will just sort of streak away. And, and how excited are you about uh, that season? Yeah, I'm always excited about the season. I'm quite optimistic as well. I mean, I'm always pretty cautious. I mean, you do get people predicting we're going to do this. We're going to win the league. We're going to win the cup. We're going to go unbeaten. And I like to keep my feet on the ground because there's some good sides in Super League, isn't there? And the, obviously, other sides have strengthened as well. But I'd like to think we can push for a, for a playoff spot again. 
Um, but I'll wait and see. I'll just wait and see how things develop. But I'm going to enjoy it. I always enjoy it, and uh, looking forward to, to covering it with you as well. So, uh, so yeah, like you said, it'll soon be here now, and I'll have me uh, obligatory bet that I have every season we're going to go and win the Challenge Cup. So, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. But no, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, always be bet responsibly. <laughs> I can tell our listeners. Only put um, a pound on. What, what, what teams stand out for you? Do you think, obviously, with the uh, the transfers done so far? Um, it's a tough one, that Rob. I mean, uh, you look at everybody's put predictions out, don't they? And everyone sort of disagrees with each other about where they think people are going to finish. But I know a lot of people are sort of saying Wakefield are going to struggle. But I always think they're they're tough to beat. I think they might be one of the surprise packages that go towards the playoffs. So uh, I'm not saying I fancy them to win the league, but I, I don't think they'll be the, the rubbing rags that everybody's saying. Um, I don't. I think you've got. To, you got to say, St. Helens are going to be tough, aren't they, to, to beat? You know, they're the champions. Wigan are always strong. I think Leeds, you know, finished last season well, didn't they? If they recruit, I think it's made a few good signs. They're tough to beat at home, aren't they, in front of a big crowd. So I think they'll be up there. I mean, you like to think Warrington will be, be good again, but I'm not so sure. I think they're recruiting. You signed a few old men there at Warrington, so I'm not so sure. I think the pressure's there on, on Daryl Powell. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think we've got a good side. We had a good side last season. We've got a good settled side, and we've brought a few players in and I think we could go really well um, every, everybody always says about Hull and Catalan and I don't know I really don't know I think it's it's about momentum and getting a good start isn't it and I think if you can do that and keep your players happy keep your squad happy and you know keep the motivation I think you can do well and that's the important thing obviously both our sides with a uh, sort of 30 seconds to go Paul both Swinton and Salford have a good season yeah, that's right. Yeah, tough one for Swinton in the Championship. I think they'll be chomping at the bit and raring to go. And uh, same with Paul Rowley, Salford as well. It's going to be uh, it's going to be good. I mean, no one's going to... People will write us off at their peril, won't they? And we'll just surprise them again. I'm happy to be the surprise package. Yeah. So, big thanks for tuning in to the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. Don't forget you tune in on a Tuesday and on a Thursday. Tuesday at 7 o'clock, Thursday at 9 o'clock to listen to us talk all things sports in Salford. I've been Rob Paxson and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat.